Community.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. After having called the multitude with his disciples, he said to them, Whoever wills to follow after me, he must deny himself and must take up his cross and must follow. Now, whoever may will to save his life will lose it. But whoever may lose his own life for my sake and for the Gospels, this one will save it. For what will it profit a man if he may gain the whole world and yet may suffer the loss of his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now whoever may be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The direction by Jesus is very clear. If you want to enter into the kingdom above, you cannot simply say, I'm saved. No, he says, you must deny yourself. You have to follow him. You have to take up your cross. What's all of that mean in very practical terms? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia a place of holiness, a place where the gift of God is offered to every man and woman, a boot camp where people can grow up into Jesus Christ, a place for men and women who are serious about following after Jesus. It is not a place of foolishness. It's not a place of entertainment. It's not a place where you go and punch your ticket and then go home and live like the world. That's not going to work. We want you to successfully make the journey from this life to the next life. Self of the wonderful provision of Jesus on the cross. That will determine where you spend eternity. I want you to spend eternity with me and with the heavenly realm. I want you to spend eternity with Jesus. But today, every deceiving voice is being heard. And so we're going to go directly 
and look for the old path, not the new modern one of America. We're going to have to go back and carefully look for the ancient ways and understand what it means and how we walk in very practical terms. So let's turn first to the scriptures. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, this is what Jesus spoke. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out all on his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will turn away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the gate. He is the narrow gate. He is the one who leads us into salvation. Now, in 1678, there was a book published. It was written by John Bunyan while he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He was by trade a tinker, a very lowly, humble job, going door to door, asking if they had any pots or pans that needed to be repaired, and if they would be worn to such a point that they would have a hole he would repair that hole in the metal. It was dirty, hard work. But then he also preached the gospel. And because of his burning devotion for Jesus Christ, because he could not stop proclaiming the gospel, he was imprisoned for 11 years. And during that time, he wrote the precious words 
of the number one allegory in the English language, a book published only second to the Bible, a book that has been referred to through the ages since 1678. That book is Pilgrim's Progress. We named this broadcast after this ancient writing. I want to share with you some of John Bunyan's thoughts regarding this gate. Okay, I think we're back. I'm sorry, we're having technical difficulties today with with our connection. And I'm not surprised. I think the enemy does not want us to say what is going to be said today. So I'm going to stand by faith, and if you two would just pray that this connection is maintained and that I can speak God's word to you today. Uh, Mr. Producer, how much time were we off air? Can you hear me? Are we on air? And how much time have we lost? Okay, that tells me where I need to begin. Okay. The producer is telling me that we lost about three or four minutes. So that tells me where I need to come back and connect with you. I was sharing that in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan speaks about two men who come tumbling over the wall on the left side onto the path. Now the names of these two people are first, formalist, and second, hypocrisy. Let's take a moment and define what he's saying. He's saying that there are two kinds of Christians that are not going to successfully make the journey to the promised land. There are two kinds of Christians who refuse to enter through the narrow gate. And hopefully we can today begin to speak about what it means to go through that narrow gate. The name of the one was formalist, meaning this is the person who trusts everything in the formality of the church. They trust in Fat Tuesday. They trust in Ash Wednesday. They trust in Lent. They trust in the Eucharist. They trust in all of the portions of the church. They are formalists. They do not have a living, vibrant connection with Jesus Christ. They have never gone through the narrow gate. They have never been crucified with Christ. They are still very much in their flesh, enjoying the things of the world, but claiming to be Christians. These are the formalists. When you ask them, 
What can you share that Jesus is doing in your life today? All they can answer is the formal things that they are practicing in hopes that that will meet the requirement. The second kind of Christian is called Mr. Hypocrisy. And he is the one who claims that he is a Christian, but walks constantly in rebellion against the ways of Jesus Christ. But he does it in a hidden manner so that no one knows. He lives or she lives a double life. In secret, doing whatever they desire to do. You can go to church. You can usher. You can go to church and preach. You can go to church and stand up and you're the righteous man. But you can go home and yell at your wife. You can go home and participate in every vain thing. You can sit at home and drink in the darkness of the television. You can be a glutton. You're a hypocrite. You say you are a follower of Jesus, but the practical following of Jesus never takes place. These are the two who came over the wall. They're now walking with Christian on the path, and Christian immediately begins to engage them in conversation. Remember, this was written in 1678, so I'm not talking about you. I'm reading what Bunyan wrote in 1678. If the shoe fits, slip it on and deal with what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you. Christian asked, gentlemen, where did you come from and where are you going? Formality and hypocrisy replied, we were born in the land of vainglory. And we're going to Mount Zion where we expect we will be received both with praise and honor. Well, why didn't you enter by the gate that stands at the beginning of the way? Don't you know that it is written that he who does not come in by the door, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber? Formalist and hypocrisy answered that to go to the gate in order to enter the way was considered by them and all of their countrymen to be much too inconvenient and roundabout, especially since they could shorten the journey by simply climbing over the wall as they had done. But won't this be seen as trespassing, Christian asked. Don't you think the Lord of the city for which we are bound must count it as a violation of his revealed will? Formalist in hypocrisy told Christian, not to worry about it since it had been the custom of their land for more than a thousand years. But, ask Christian, will your custom stand up in the court of law? They replied, This custom of entering the way by taking a shortcut has been going on as a long-standing practice for more than a thousand years and would, be rule, and would be ruled as a legal practice by any impartial judge. And besides, they added, as long as we get into the way, what does it matter how we got in? Verse 
If we are in, we are in. You came into the way through the narrow gate. We came tumbling over the wall. Since we both are in, who is to say that your chosen path is better than ours? Christian told them, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rule workings of your own ideas. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found as true men at the end of the journey. You came in by yourselves without his direction, and you will go out by yourselves without his mercy. To this they had little to say, except to tell Christian to mind his own business. Then I saw that formalist and hypocrisy traveled along with Christian, saying only that as far as the laws and ordinances were concerned, they would obey them as conscientiously as Christian. They added that they saw no difference between themselves and Christian except for the coat he wore, which they speculated was given to Christian to hide his shame and his nakedness. Now let's stop just a moment. If you have entered into the Christian gospel and you have never felt the depth of your shame and of your nakedness, you did not come in by the narrow gate. You came over the wall you came in another way. Going forward to an altar call is not entering by the narrow gate. If you have not entered by the narrow gate and felt the depth of the degradation of your heart, if you have not wept over your sin, if you see no difference between yourself and others who humbly bow before God, you will not be saved by keeping the rules and regulations of the church that you attend. You will not be saved by keeping by keeping the rules that govern the church calendar. You cannot be saved because you did not come in by the narrow gate. As for the coat that Christian is wearing on his back, it was given to him by the Lord of the place where he's going. And as these men say, it is a cover for his nakedness. He said, I take it as a token of his kindness to me, for I, I had nothing but rags before. In the scripture, what he is wearing is the robe of Jesus Christ's righteousness, that has become real righteousness 
in Christian's life. It is not a covering over of sin. It is a removal of sin. It is, as I shared earlier this week, a lifting up off his life of all sin. He will always be utterly naked before God in his own strength and in his own power. He must have the fullness of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus came not to imprison us, but to set us free. He came to release us from the bondage of sin. He came to make us new. He continued, I take some comfort in the fact that when I came to the gate of the city, or when I come to the gate of the city, the Lord of that place will surely recognize me since it is his coat on my back, a coat that he gave me the day he stripped me of my rags, the day he stripped me of my sin. He said, I also have a mark on my forehead, which perhaps you've not noticed. One of my Lord's most intimate associates placed it on my forehead the day that my burden fell from my shoulders. Also, I've been given a scroll to read as comfort to me as I make my journey. I was also told to turn it in at the celestial gate as an assurance that I will be welcomed into the celestial city. I doubt you have any interest in all these things since you did not come in at the gate. To this foremost, the formalist and the hypocrisy gave no answer. They just looked at each other and they laughed. To this, Christian did not comment. They all kept walking along the path. But now Christian decided not to walk with them any longer. He walked up ahead and he had no more conversation with them. He only continued to talk with himself, sometimes sighing, sometimes encouraging himself, often refreshing himself by reading from the scroll that one of the shining ones had given him. Constantly in prayer, lifting up his heart in gratitude. I saw then that they all went on until they came to the foot of the hill difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring to refresh with water. Here the men were faced with the choice of three paths. The path that led directly from the gate continued straight up the steep hill. Another path turned to the left and a third to the right of the hill. Christian went to the spring and drank until he was no longer thirsty and then began to go up the hill of difficulty, saying, The hill, though high, I desire to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend. For I perceive the way to life lies here. Be strong, my heart, let neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go than among though easy, where the end is woe. Formalist and hypocrisy also came to the foot of the hill, but when they saw how steep and high it was and that 
there were two simpler ways to go. They chose the ways that looked easier. They supposed that the two would go around the hill and meet up again with a straight way on the other side, the path that Christian was taking. Now the name of one of these ways was danger, and the name of the other was destruction. So formalist took the way that is called danger. A man who walks in the formalities of the Christian faith, but has no vibrant life, will always take the path called danger. Not the path destruction, because there is hope that in his formalism he will finally come to terms with his nakedness and confess before the Lord, the God of heaven, and return and come through the narrow gate. Hypocrisy, on the other hand, the one who lies about his condition, who is double-faced, hypocrisy went through the way to destruction, which led him into a wide field full of dark mountains, and there he stumbled and he fell, and he never got up again. I looked and I saw Christian go up the hill, where I noticed him slowing his pace from running to walking and finally to scrambling up the path on his hands and knees because the path was so very, very steep. Well, let's leave Christian there. And let's come back in the time we have remaining. And let's look at what it means to to enter by the narrow gate according to Bunyan. And then I want to speak with you about that narrow path entrance called the gate, the narrow gate, the suffering affliction gate. Christian arrived at the gate. Now over the gate was written, Knock, and it will be opened to you. Christian knocked more than once or twice, saying, May I now enter? Will he within open to pitiful me, though I have been an undeserving rebel? Then will I not fail to sing his everlasting praises on high? Now, I want you to notice the first time he knocks, there is no answer. This gate is a very serious gate. It is not for the casual, it is not for the lovers of this world. It is for those who understand that all roads end up in the same place. They all end up at the judgment bar of God, for the Muslim, for the Hindu, for the Buddhist, and for the Christian, all roads end up in the same place. They end up in front of the judgment bar of God. 
And in front of that judgment bar of God, a decision is made. Sin is punished by death. If you do not see your danger now, you will not be interested in the narrow path. You will find some other comfortable way to journey, as formalist did, or as hypocrisy did. But Christian has fled from the city of destruction. He has played with legalism. He has recognized it is absolutely impossible for him to be on the journey to the celestial city if he does not come to terms with the degradation, with the sin, with the, with the depths of his nakedness. He knows he is dressed in filthy rags. He has no pretense. He considers himself to be a pitiful wreck. He knows himself to be an undeserving rebel from the city of destruction, and he desires with all of his heart to escape that destruction. And so he stands at the door and he knocks. Have you stood at that door knocking? It's a very serious door. You cannot enter through it without it being opened for you. It is a supernatural act of God to open the door for you. And he wants to make certain that if he opens that door, you are serious about your concern. Now, I will tell you one more thing, and Bunyan speaks about it in a moment. But not far away is the castle of the evil dragon prince. And from there, arrows are shot at any man or any woman who would come and knock on the door and desire to enter into the fullness of Jesus Christ. The devil wants to kill you before you can get through that door. And he will do everything in his power to take you out and to prevent you from getting serious about following Jesus. Now, I want you to know According to Bunyan, the church is full of formalists and hypocrites. It is the exception. The person who finally has recognized they cannot wash themselves. They cannot clean themselves up. And they are unfit to travel on the highway to heaven. And they come to this gate and the devil tries to pierce them with arrows and lie to them. He wants to kill them. At last, writes Bunyan, a very serious person came to the gate whose name was Goodwill. Goodwill asked who was there and from where he came, and, and what he wanted. 
Christian answers, I am a poor, burdened sinner. Now, you can be a sinner and come to that gate, but you will not be allowed in. If you are not burdened by your sin, if you don't desire something much different for your life, if you've come for the benefits, but you're unwilling to recognize your your brokenness and your nakedness, you cannot enter. Christian said, I have come from the city of destruction and I'm going to Mount Zion so that I may be delivered from the wrath to come. I am informed that through this gate is the way to safety. I want to know if you are willing to let me in. I am willing with all my heart, he said, and with that he opened the gate, and as Christian started walking through the gate, goodwill grabbed him roughly and pulled him through. And Christian said, Why did you pull me in so forcefully? And Goodwill told him, A little distance from this gate there stands a strong castle, of which Beelzebub is the captain. From there both he and those who are with him shoot arrows at the travelers who come up to this gate in order to slay poor sinners before they can enter into safety. And Christian said, I rejoice and I tremble. So the man at the gate asked him who sent him. He replied, Evangelist sent me and told me to knock at the gate. He said that you, sir, would tell me what I must do next. And Goodwill said, An open door is set before you. No man can shut it. How is it that you have decided to come here? Goodwill asked. Christian replied, because none of my neighbors saw the danger they were in, but I saw it more and more clearly. Until you see the danger you are in, you will have no real interest in entering through this gate. You will have no real interest in entering through this narrow gate. Let me try to talk for a few minutes with you about what it means to enter this narrow gate. It is, first of all, a suffering gate. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without suffering. And it is a narrow gate. You will not be able to bring through the gate your luggage. It must be left behind. We come to this narrow gate And there is a process involved. 
That process will include denying yourself and taking up your cross. What do I mean, deny myself? Well, the world, the flesh, and the devil operate freely and offer to all who will receive their trinkets. Bunyan speaks about that in Vanity Fair. They offer everything the world can give to you. Money, power, ambition, entertainment. They offer you the opportunity to be enraged by others, to be offended by others. They offer you the opportunity to gossip and cut down and destroy the reputation of others. The world offers to you the right to be in charge of your own life, or that's the illusion. Jesus said, if you try to save your own life, you will lose it. And if you lose your life for the sake of his kingdom, you will find it. What does that mean? It means that all sin must be dealt with in our hearts. It literally means that, that I must begin to say no to my temper. I must begin to say no to the lust that rises in every man's heart and every woman's heart. Lust for belongings, lust for being somebody, lust for comfort, lust for food, all manner of lust we must say to our flesh, no. And then we must decide, is the reward of a bitter, angry charge at somebody, is the pleasure of getting drunk, if that can be called a pleasure, is the pleasure of being in charge of my own life, is that greater than the benefit of walking with Jesus Christ and having his approval and his presence. In 1 John, the second chapter, he writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Now here's what's in the world. The cravings of sinful man, that is, the desire to be pampered, that is, to give my wicked sinful nature whatever it desires. It is for physical comfort. It is for sexual uncleanness. It is for the love of entertainment. 
It's for the love of the movies and the football and the baseball. It is the craving of gambling. It is everything the sinful nature craves. All of these, we stand at the narrow gate. We cannot take our cravings through the gate. They're too big to get through. We must decide at the gate if Jesus Christ is worth and is eternity worth laying down and saying no by the power of the blood of Jesus. Are we willing to recognize the danger we are in as we follow the cravings of the sinful flesh? Are we willing to look at the nakedness it has brought to our hearts? Are we willing to look at the misery this craving has brought to our lives? How it has destroyed relationships? How it has caused us to be cheap and tawdry? How it has caused us to lose our moral values? How we have sacrificed everything that we could be happy with our cravings, that we could feast like some kind of wild animal on the carcass of the dead? cravings of a sinful man. And then John says, and the lust of his eyes. That is the love of things, the love of the new car, the love of all the stuff we want to have to be considered somebody. The house, the clothes, the car the job, the recognition, the acclaim. Is that more valuable to you than Jesus? Do you see the danger you are in? And then the... and respect arrogant proud this is all from the world but the world and all of its desires will pass away we all die we all grow old and can no longer enjoy the lust of our heart But John says, the man who does the will of God lives forever. He writes, dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but not really belonging to us. In other words, he's saying there is a there is a division at the gate. 
There is a separation between those who just want Jesus and those who want all of the world and Jesus too. Now there's another aspect. And that is that when a person comes to this narrow gate, they must lay their life down. They must lay their life down. When I was married to my late wife, Jan, she came from a very powerful professional position. When I met her, she had just been offered the directorship of the training academy for Disney World with a six-figure income. That was the pinnacle of her career. It's what she had always desired to do. She was a master trainer. She had been offered by NBC her own television show. She was beautiful and talented and very, very successful. And I said to her, Please, take some time to consider what you're going to do. For I think God has another plan for your life. She went back to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where she lived. I stayed here in Washington. And we began to talk each evening on the telephone. And as we talked, a great hunger began to be unveiled in her heart. She was trying to fill her life with successful accomplishments. She had come from a great deal of money. The table in her dining room was 18 karat gold. She had traveled the world many times staying in the best hotels, jetting here and there. But there was a great hunger in her heart. And as we talked, she made the decision to lay down all of her professional success And Jesus called her to come and follow. A humble way, a humiliated way. And she did so. Now, I'm not saying that a person cannot be a Christian and be very successful and very wealthy. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying is that when our heart is being filled with things of the world instead of our being in the world to serve Jesus Christ in whatever position he places us, then we have a very serious problem. And Jan said, many years later, 
Ray, I am giving my life to Jesus Christ. I am giving my life to be spent by him, not by me. And as she lay dying, she said to me, Ray, I didn't know that when I offered to let Jesus pour my life out, he would pour it out and spend it with cancer. But it's okay. I know it's the will of God. We stood by faith for her healing, but the Lord said no. And six years ago, she passed. The final place we must come. As one dear brother last night, David Sampson, at our incredible prayer meeting last night, he said, there is a silver bullet that Jesus has shown me. He said, the silver bullet that Jesus has shown me is that I have tipped my cup and, and, and poured out some of my life for him. And then I tipped my cup and I poured out more of my life for him. And he said, now I've tipped my cup and I've poured out all of my life for him. He said, and now I see that I was wrong. Jesus does not ask me to tip my life and pour it all out for him. He instead asks me to give my life to him and let him pour my life out as he chooses. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. He poured out Peter's life on the cross. Today, will you pour your life out for Jesus, or will you let Jesus pour your life out for him? Will you enter that narrow gate? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastored the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Please go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find videos and podcasts. You'll also find directions for how to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We rent space from All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. I urge you, if you're serious about Jesus and you want to be in a place where you will grow up in him, come and see us. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon.